0: thanks Mike Good morning everybody it 's good to be back at tenth we 've been away for the summer, so i don 't remember all the other sermons that have been given, but i 've been tasked with the subject of remember that God remembers so I, I gather that in previous weeks you 've been talking about the, uh, um, the various things that we as the people of God need to remember, and now we remember that God remembers. Have you ever been in a one-way conversation? We've all probably had something like that at some point. Maybe you've been making an effort to get to know uh, a friend and reaching out to them. Um, Maybe you've been trying to contact a family member and sending them message, writing letters to someone, if people still do that, sending texts and so on but not getting a response. I had a one-way discussion one time with a professor. Uh, It started as a two-way, but then it became a one-way conversation. This professor wanted me to consider a a different view on something, and so he gave me two articles that he had written. This is how academics uh, communicate with one another. Like, here, read this. so I read the two articles, and I considered them carefully, and I, I, I researched about this subject, and I even got other books out, read them, and I wrote out a really detailed response to the two articles that he had written. So he had given me 50 pages to write. I gave him about two pages to, to read, um, and I sent it to him and heard nothing. Nothing. I kept expecting a response, but didn't get any response from him. It was a one-way conversation. About a year later, I saw him at a conference. And so, uh, in, a, in a moment of boldness, I went up to him and I said, uh, hey, why didn't you respond to me? And he said to me, and I remember this very well, I decided your email required either a long response or none at all. And I chose the latter. <laughs> <clears throat> Ugh. Sometimes prayer can feel like that. We expend energy speaking to God, but feel like we get nothing back. We read about God, study his word, do our best to live for him, but wonder, is this a one-way conversation? Is it a one-way relationship? Does God remember us? In our passage today from Isaiah 49... God's people felt like they were in a one-way relationship, or at least that they'd been ignored in the relationship. They'd sought God, but felt abandoned and forgotten by him. So let's look at our our passage today. Uh, If you want to turn or turn on to Isaiah 49, uh, 13. Um, let's talk first about the, the context of this passage. Like where, where are we? Um, so we read from Isaiah. Isaiah is one of the prophetic books. It's a, Isaiah was a prophet. And the, it's a big book. It's the first of all the prophetic books in the Old Testament. So it's a big, a big deal. And the first 39 chapters of the book are about Israel's life when they were in the land that God had given to them. And eventually they were under Assyrian power. And so those first 39 chapters are dealing with the reality of this superpower that was just bearing down on them and making life miserable. Eventually, the people of God, because of their rejection of God, were expelled or exiled from their land. And so that happened in, in that middle section in chapters 40 to 55. It's about life in exile. So they were, they were exiled from their land in 586 BCE. And, and this was a time of profound disorientation and a sense of loss and questions about where God was. Is God present? Does he still care about us? God had promised that he was going to um, maintain a king on the throne, but now they had no king. He was going to give them a land, and now they had no land. They had a temple to worship God, but now they had no temple. And so, all of everything that made them who they were as God's people was gone. And so, you can imagine how acute that question was, then, of whether God had abandoned his people Maybe the Babylonian gods that they lived, uh, that were around them, were more powerful. Is God even strong enough to bring us back to our land? The people have been waiting, hoping, but feeling disillusioned because it had been a long time now by the time you get to the chapter that we're in, and they felt like maybe God was just going to give up on them. We read in verse 13, a pretty optimistic note, shout for joy, you heavens, rejoice, you earth. Burst into song, you mountains. So all creation is summoned to join in this praise for the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. So at this point, it sounds like good news. God was going to do something, but it still wasn't materializing. We read in the next verse, then verse fourteen. But Zion said, "The Lord has forsaken me; my Lord has forgotten me." So Zion is is another name for Jerusalem, uh, the city of God, where the temple was and where the king resided in the land. And so here you have a poetic description of Jerusalem, pictured as a woman who is bereaved. The city is in ruins. And all her children are gone. So that's the poetic image that we have here. So Zion is Jerusalem. So there's this profound disconnect that the people were feeling. Between the promises of God. Rejoice. Compassion. Comfort. And reality. So have you ever felt that disconnect between the promises of God. And the reality that you experience. And perhaps some of you are feeling that disconnect right now, even while in church. Perhaps you hear or sing about the great things that God is going to do, has done, but your experience is profoundly different from that. In a study of, um, you know, sometimes we feel that disconnect when we're reading scripture, where God says, you know, I've not forgotten you. I have compassion on you. But our lives don't, don't show that in any way. Or maybe it's when we're singing. We sing about the great things that God has done. In a study of, of the top 25 worship songs um, in uh, the sort of North American context, uh, Michael Rhodes was, uh, he's a biblical scholar, he was, he was looking at these top 25 songs and he noted that not one of them had a single question to God of asking, where are you, God? Where have you been? Um, Have you forgotten us? But yet in the Psalms, when we read the book of Psalms, there are 164 questions posed to God. That's more than one per Psalm. And that's not to pick on worship songs. It's just to, to highlight this disconnect that we can feel sometimes. The Lord offered comfort and compassion, but Israel experienced forgetfulness and abandonment. And notice the progression there in those two lines. You've got the Lord, almost third person, but then my Lord has forgotten me. My own Lord. It's like saying your own parent has forgotten about you. This is blunt language. And one of the things I take comfort in, even from this verse, is that the Bible allows us to give voice to those cries to God. Jesus himself said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Taken from the book of Psalms. Very personal. That sense of God forgetting us or abandoning us. And maybe it's not that you feel utterly abandoned, but maybe you just feel overlooked. Like your family or church or work isn't noticing your skills and your abilities. Um, And you're saying, hey, I'm ready to serve here. I've got these giftings, but no one notices. And so uh, sometimes with Zion, we might be praying, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. If we move on then, we get God's response to this reality in verse 15. And this brings us to um, the the first of three things that we can note in this passage about God's remembering. So the first thing is that God remembers with compassion. Verse 15 says, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget... I will not forget you. So Isaiah's reaching here for the most powerful bond he can find, that of a, a mother and a child, and then exceeds it. Right? In the rare occasion where a mother might forget her own child, God's compassion and love exceeds even um, what any mother could give. So here you have the God of all creation compared to a nursing mother, which is a very intimate image. And that last line there could could be translated, not I will not forget you, but I do not forget you. It's a current reality about God's relationship with us. And this finds expression elsewhere in the, the prophets, including Isaiah 44, verse 21. It's not on the slide, but I'll read it for you. Uh, Remember these things, O Jacob, and Israel, for you are my servant. I have formed you. You are my servant, O Israel. You will not be forgotten by me. Jeremiah 31:20 says, is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a delightful child? Indeed, as often as I have spoken against him, I will certainly still Remember him. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him. So, this tells us that God's remembering is not like, oh, he forgot and then he suddenly remembered. It's an active involvement or engagement in the relationship with us. God remembers with compassion. And the second thing is that God remembers with steadfast loyalty. Look at verse 16. Now, uh, Isaiah illustrates this with a very uh, personal image. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. Remember, this is spoken to Zion, the, the woman Zion. It's as if God has your name tattooed on his hands. And ta- tattoos are permanent, and that's the point and why, and why it's dangerous. To tattoo the name of your high school sweetheart on your on your arm, <laughs> um, some of you may be in that situation and having to to cross out uh, quite a few names or, or creatively cover over them. Um, but God's promise is never crossed out. Uh, our names are not xed out uh, to be replaced with someone else. There's no need for for laser removal. Uh, it's permanent and unchanging. God remembers with steadfast loyalty. And, and the word, um, to go back to verse 16, that's translated engraved, is used elsewhere for engraving commands or uh, decrees. So it's, it's something that's, that's fixed and that God will make good on as well. In every possible way, God is saying, I will not forget you. I do not forget you. And in context, um, God is telling Zion, the city, that was in ruins, that he remembers Zion's walls. And so it's, it's quite an image then to think, because he says, I've engraved you on my hands and your walls are ever before me. It's almost like the picture of the broken city was on God's hands. Where he's grieving as he looks at his own um, You know, hands that are marked with this city. The brokenness that people had experienced. God knows the places of pain in your life. He knows the broken places of our world. The walls of Bakhmut and Mariupol in Ukraine are before the Lord. The walls of Aleppo are before him. The walls in Ethiopia's Amhar region are before. The Lord continually. God cares about the places that matter to us and the people that are represented there. Perhaps you have a place in your heart or mind or in your life that's broken. God remembers those places are not forgotten. And God also remembers Zion's children. It says, um, it it talks about the the children are going to uh, return to Zion, but that brokenness also is a symbol of the children who have been lost as well in the city of Zion. So it's not just that Zion would one day be repopulated, but that God remembers what's been lost. Our good friends in England um, had lost their, their son Luke at 10 hours Old uh, they were um, grieving that when we first got to know them the 10-year anniversary for his death was just uh, a few months ago and and if you go to uh, this family's house there's a shelf with a picture of them holding Luke on it as they held him in a hospital right after he was born and each year they they mark Luke's passing with a with a ceremony a family ceremony and a key Part of honoring um, Luke and the loss they experienced is not forgetting him, is remembering him and friends gathering around them who remember Luke with them. Uh, she, uh, the, the mother of Luke recently wrote, Luke will always be loved and never forgotten. Your life and the life of those that others might forget or overlook those who have passed away are not forgotten to God. And God also remembers Zion's perpetrators. Verse 17 says, those who laid you waste will depart from you. Verse 19 says, and those who devoured you will be driven far away. Later in the passage, God tells the people, the prey of the tyrant will be rescued For I will oppose your adversary, and I myself will rescue your children. So God remembers his people for good, but he also remembers perpetrators in judgment. God holds to account those who had violated Zion and had caused her desolation. In their study of global violence against women, Amnesty International concluded that that most acts of violence against women are never investigated. The perpetrators are not prosecuted. They commit their crimes with impunity. And the statistics were, were pretty awful for this. But the fact that God remembers perpetrators is good news. For those who suffer, and so in these ways, God remembers Zion. Scripture also offers different images for uh, this indelible, permanent remembrance of God. God remembering with steadfast loyalty. One of them is Isaiah fifty-six, just a couple of chapters later uh, in in the book of Isaiah. It's one of my favorite passages. And this comes from the section of Isaiah that's when the people are back in the land, but life is really hard. So they've been brought back from exile. Life is difficult. And there's a powerful image there of the community of God trying to figure out how they're going to be God's people. And there's a particular subgroup within that that are called eunuchs. Um, And the eunuch uh, are people that cannot have uh, children, uh, because they've been castrated for different reasons. And the eunuch is crying out and saying, I'm a dry tree. I'm cut off because I can't have children. And in the ancient world, the way that your name continues and that your family continues is through the life of your children. But in Isaiah 56 5, God promises to those who thought that they'd been forgotten that He would give them a memorial and a name that's better than sons and daughters. In other words, in the temple, God was going to establish a pillar with their name written on it, engraved in stone, so that they would never be forgotten. And the the Hebrew term for this, for name, uh, uh, a uh, memory and a name is Yad Vashem, which is also the name of the the Holocaust memorial in uh, Israel. Um, and, And the Holocaust memorials for those whose names were cut off in the horrors of the Holocaust. And I have this image here, of these pillars that are broken. You can see how there's a sort of broken off element to them of those who were broken off are not forgotten. And that's the idea of God remembering those who thought that their future was cut off. He's engraved you on his hand. He's established a memorial in a name that can never be broken. Throughout scripture, we read similar promises. Daniel 12 talks about that those written in the book of life will be delivered by the Lord. Luke 23, 42, we read about the thief on the cross next to Jesus who says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus responds that, truly, I tell you today, you um, will be with me in paradise. And the very last book in the Old Testament, the book of Revelation, says that those, for those who per- persevere in the faith, a pillar will be in the temple of my God. And I will write on them my new name. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. That God would mark us on his hands is such a remarkable uh, image. In the normal order of things, uh, in ancient world, a servant would be marked uh, to represent that they belong to their master. But in this divine order, God marks himself to show he belongs to us. In this act of divine humility, the master bears the marks of his servants. And this brings us to a third truth about God's memory, namely that God remembers by bestowing dignity. Exile, being taken out of your land and losing your whole peoplehood was profoundly humiliating for the people as a nation. And I think it's important that, that God, when he restores them, uh, he does so with such dignity and honor. The image here is of God adorning his bride as surely as I live, declares the Lord, you, Zion, will wear them, namely all the children that are coming back, as ornaments. You will put them on as a bride. So here you have Mama Zion, who is, who is God's city, who thought she had lost all her children, and now sees them returning home. Um, God redignifies His people by restoring to them and uh, their, His their children. So, Zion is suddenly reunited with her lost children. And I like how it's expressed here. There's a, there's a kind of shock to it. Um, lift up your eyes. It's like they're all coming to you. You know, she's been down kind of grieving and looks up and sees uh, their, her children are coming. And they, and so many come, in fact, that the children say, this place is too crowded for us. Um, when When Israel went into exile... The population of Jerusalem, was, and even after they came back, was about 10% of what it used to be. So the, the, it was a depopulated zone, and here Isaiah is saying, this place will be so full of life and vibrancy that it will be too small, and you'll have to build outward. Surely your ruins, your desolate places, your destroyed land... Surely now it's too crowded for inhabitants. Then in verse 21, I was left all alone. But these, where have they come from? It's as if the, the prophet's breath is just taken, taken away by the astonishing redemption of God. God restoring his fortunes to his people. at Their darkest hour of night, when everything seemed lost, God does something new. And that's what God's in the business of doing, is when it seems like um, hope is gone, the prophet's words come in and instill a sense of um, God's remembering of us. God remembers by bestowing dignity. And just to wrap things up, I want to refer to a story uh, that I just mentioned briefly in the New Testament um, in the New Testament Gospel of John, we read about the, one of the disciples, Thomas. And, and Thomas is, um, uh, he was one of the 12 disciples, but he, he wasn't with the other disciples when Jesus visited them after his resurrection. And Thomas had his questions about whether Jesus was truly raised from the dead, He wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to see the resurrected Lord. You can sympathize with that, right? I would like that. Had Jesus truly been raised from the dead? Was there master among them again? To use the words of Isaiah, had had the Lord forgotten and abandoned his people? And suddenly Jesus appears to the disciples, but really it was for Thomas. Thomas. And he invites Thomas to put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side, where he had been stabbed with the spear. Stop doubting and believe. You are not forgotten, is the subtext of Jesus' words to Thomas. As Jesus stretched out his nail-pierced hands to show Thomas, I wonder if Thomas thought of those words from Isaiah. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. And to this, I think we can respond with Thomas, my Lord and my God. Truly, this is a God who remembers. Let's pray together in closing. And I want you to hear this spoken for you as God's people. And we receive this word not just about people in the past in Babylon, but about us here today. I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. And Lord, we receive that word and marvel that the God of the universe cares for us like a nursing mother, like a father having compassion on his children. I thank you that in your remembering of us, as scripture says, you also forget our sins. And I thank you that um, the broken places in our life are not forgotten to you. The broken people in our lives are not forgotten to you. And we give you praise and thanks, Lord, for that reality. And I pray that um, in the ways that we need to experience that your act of remembering us, that you would draw near to us by the power of your spirit. It's in Christ's strong name that we pray. Amen.